colleges and universities hold the potential to transform society by raising social consciousness and enabling social and economic mobility. Historically and today, however, this potential has been constrained by accessibility barriers, deficiencies in curriculums, skewed funding allocations, among other factors. I'm Abhishek and this is Economic and Political Weekly's podcast, Research Radio Season 2. Ankit Kawade joins me this week to discuss his article titled The Impossibility of Dalit Studies. He is an MPhil candidate at the Centre for Political Studies at the Jawaharlal Nehru University in New Delhi. He's currently writing his dissertation on the reception of the Manusmriti in the works of Frederick Nietzsche and B.R. Ambedkar. This is the first episode of our new season, featuring a refreshed format, new graphics, and an exciting lineup of scholars. Our goal remains the same. Each week, we'll take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of work published in EPW. We hope you tune in and share your feedback. Towards the end, we'll also recap a few takeaways from our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on this show, Ankit. I'm really happy to be part of the EPW podcast, Abhishek. Shall we start by discussing what led you to write about Dalit studies? I was uh, primarily moved into thinking about Dalit studies sometime after I completed my bachelor's degree in political science, when I had to decide upon the field or the discipline for my master's degree. So as I was interested in studying Ambedkar, I was conflicted between applying for a master's degree in the Center for Dalit and Tribal Studies and Action in the Tata Institute of Social Sciences in Mumbai, or whether to continue with the discipline of uh, political science in my master's as well. I was conflicted between the two because at the time I wondered which discipline would be better able to accommodate or satisfy my research interests relating to Ambedkar. At the time, I felt a sense of hesitation in joining the Dalit Studies program at TIS and ultimately decided to join the Center for Political Studies at the Jawaharlal Nehru University in New Delhi, where currently I am writing my MPhil dissertation. So during the period of my MPhil, when a call for papers cropped up for a conference on pedagogical issues in higher education, I thought this would be a good opportunity to reflect upon my hesitation in joining the Dalit Studies program after my uh, BA. And I wanted to think theoretically and analytically upon this piece of uh, lived experience about questions like why is there a necessity of uh, Dalit Studies, about what can be regarded as its uh, methodological premise, and why in spite of the urgency of its existence within the space of our universities today, students and researchers may still experience a certain hesitation, as I did, in willing to join or associate with the Dalit Studies program during the course of their education and research. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That helps to understand some of the stakes when it comes to writing this article. So you mentioned that you had a few hesitations and you tried to explore these, uh, you know, through the article. If you don't mind sharing, what were some of them? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, because uh, writing in the in the process of writing, I was, of course, reflecting in hindsight about the reasons why I might have had certain hesitations in joining the Dalit Studies program. So one of the reasons that, again, in hindsight that I discovered was obviously relating to the, you know, very mundane aspect of, say, the job prospects or something like that. But thought of more deeply, as I also explore in the article, I think it relates to the undervalued epistemic status of Dalit studies within the spaces of the university that might perhaps explain 
not only perhaps my hesitation but also the hesitation that many other students or uh, scholars who might be interested in uh, the dalit question you know not to join of not to officially join or associate themselves with the departments of dalit studies in several universities in the country so i think one has to move beyond the the sense of personal hesitation that one faces when it comes to these uh, choices and explore what epistemic questions are raised in the way these hesitations crop up amongst several individuals mm. so the job prospects concern was not something i remember you exploring in the article itself but i hear you and your emphasis on uh, you know questions of epistemology let's delve a little deeper into that and particularly where you've said in the essay that quote the premise of dalit studies resides in the affirmation of the thought of the dalit end quote could you expand upon this idea now the meaning of affirmation becomes clear once we recognize what uh, sharmila rege calls the negation of dalit intellectuality where by dalit intellectuality is meant simply that dalits too can think this negation broadly occurs at two levels first is the more obvious and even visible level of uh, institutional access for dalit students researchers and faculty which is uh, sought to be remedied by affirmative action or reservation policies in higher education institutions in the country the systematic denial of the right to higher education for dalits in india in spite of the existence of affirmative action policies speaks of a fairly straightforward way of uh, negating their capacities to think however there is another and perhaps even more insidious level at which dalit intellectuality is negated within the space of the university and that is at the level of uh, university discourse the central argument of the article as you mentioned was that dalit studies becomes necessary within a context where one observes an acceptance of the physical presence of the dalit through say affirmative action policies howsoever grudging and resentful this acceptance may be but uh, where one nonetheless does not see a democratization of the pedagogical content of the knowledge that is uh, taught produced and legitimized in these spaces from a strictly anti caste perspective so by thought of the dalit i again refer to two things first is the long tradition of anti caste thinking that is found in the indian subcontinent whose uh, intellectual substance is still scandalously overlooked in the curricula or syllabi of higher education institutions and the second meaning of this phrase is the dalit researcher's capacity to think itself which should be entirely self evident but uh, this is still something that goes largely unrecognized and subject to denial and is subject to denial within uh, university spaces and this denial reveals itself in the way the intellectual capacities of uh, dalit students are questioned when they are often deemed as uh, quote unquote merito unmeritorious which uh, effectively translates into the brahmanic view that dalits by birth as it were simply lack the capacity to think so what i wanted to convey by the words affirmation of the thought of the dalit becomes clear once we recognize the systematic denial of their thinking capacities that occurs at multiple levels in the space of the university right 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 i particularly liked the way you phrased you know how academics in south asia have largely overlooked the work produced by anti caste thinkers and scholars also there are uh, already a handful of institutional centers in india that focus on you know women studies uh, dalit studies and tribal studies and also on inclusion and exclusion more broadly could you walk me through some of the potential ways struggles to establish each of these centers could inform one another the the history of the institutionalization of uh, women studies departments in india as well as perhaps abroad 
offers us the most significant historical precedent in terms of what it is going to take for similar attempts at institutionalizing Dalit studies, uh, which arrives slightly later in the Indian academic scene. And I think what you mentioned, this is not only something that Dalit studies can learn from women's studies, but also the other ki- other kinds of centers, which have a slightly different methodology, uh, as you mentioned. And, you know, these, these kinds of centers can also learn from the history of women's studies. So, in fact, I would uh, like to mention one article which was published in EPW in 2016 by Professor M.S. Shrirekha titled Whatever Happened to Women's Studies, where uh, she regarded uh, women's studies as, quote, a marginalized discipline within the university. Because uh, according to her, unlike more traditionally established disciplines in the social sciences like, say, economics, sociology, history, political science, etc., Women's studies have to constantly struggle to prove their academic credibility in order to be heard beyond their disciplinary confines. I think such an analysis of what Professor Shrirekha terms marginalized disciplines in the university speaks very similarly to the struggles faced by such disciplinary efforts like uh, Dalit studies and tribal studies and so on and so forth. That their frameworks or methodologies are usually deemed suspect within the university is another reason why researchers find it undesirable to officially associate with them for their research work. Now, to refer back to Wendy Brown's article, such a situation had uh, resulted in a gradual decline, as she noted, in yearly student enrollment in the departments of women's studies in the U.S., She also points out how such an institutional disregard had pedagogical and discursive consequences because, as as she notes, the most important feminist theorizations in the recent couple of decades in the U.S. emerged not from the women's studies departments, but from, say, more traditional departments of uh, English literature, anthropology, history, philosophy, political theory, etc., So I absolutely agree with you that the global experience of women's studies has much to offer, both in the way we think about the potential successes and failures of the kind of uh, disciplinary efforts that we are interested in here. Uh uh And can we delve deeper into efforts by Dalit and Bahujan students to establish uh, these centers? One of the reasons that the recent I mean, not so recent, but I mean, yeah, when, when, when considered the whole history of uh, universities in India, the, the recent institutionalization of Dalit studies becomes important for all of us is to what extent the interest or the theorizing upon the Dalit question itself is not so new, so to say. So even if the discipline is new, the, the thinking that goes into the making of this discipline is has a long history and which, which, which uh, relates to what you are also saying in that many of these efforts at studying, say, African-American studies, black literature, tribal literature, Dalit literature, and uh, Dalit thought inside the universities is usually provoked by important struggles led by student organizations, usually, you know, Dalit Bahujan student organizations within the campus. And it also speaks to the reality whereby many Dalit students usually read about Ambedkar, Fule, Periyar and so on outside the classroom. And I think the I think the struggle that, you know, we are talking about in the sense of institutionalizing such disciplines speaks to this long history of studying, of very meticulously studying, in fact, and producing literature upon anti-caste thinkers outside the university spaces, so to say which not only exposes the aversion towards studying Dalit thought within the university, but it also showcases how this thought was studied productively outside the university 
and how you know st- the, the the efforts to make them available within the university spaces is an instance of further democratization so to say right right so students continue to learn from anti-caste thinkers and scholars outside formal classrooms could we discuss other avenues where such thinking might be taking place so one of the avenues that i can mention is definitely that of the social media which uh, i think provides us with a burgeoning space for uh, you know studying anti-caste literature from making publicly available texts of uh, anti-caste thinkers like phule ambedkar periyar and so on and so forth to you know uh, publishing articles of uh, young researchers online uh, who are only beginning to say think about the questions that concern them i think there is a veritable history of what might be called an alternative archive of dalit studies that exists outside the university so to say so i think that there are spaces within for instance uh locally i can mention uh, one example that i did note in, in 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 during my childhood for instance there was a buddha vihar in in our uh, locality you know where there was kept uh, ambedkar's book the buddha and his dhamma now usually what happens in the in in such spaces is that these books are kept as i don't know for the lack of a better word as show pieces you know you're not supposed to pick them up read them and so on and so forth but then again uh, the the specificity of that book is that it was written by a living individual and ambedkar uh, um, i mean and especially ambedkar so i did notice that even if that book was usually kept uh, within say uh, within a cellar so to say uh many people many people including many women used to and and uh, that book was in marathi by the way so that also explains the dissemination of anti caste uh, literature in more inclusive and vernacular spaces so i always saw many people you know taking that book out uh, reading it and so on and so forth so you know such spaces actually provide a very early uh initiation into thinking and reading uh, about anti caste literature and i can only say that we need to explore more of these spaces that exist outside the university where anti caste uh, thought has flourished can be said to be flourished in a way we need more such spaces particularly because of the manner in which academic writing has represented dalits for example you've written in your essay that quote they were the countable or innumerable subjects in the colonialist framework objects of upliftment in the nationalist one imitators of caste hindu rituals in the sanskritization model while in the marxist one they were represented as an anachronistic remnant of feudal society and as an obstacle to class formation end quote let's focus in on you know one or two of these examples to understand more about this gaze yeah absolutely i mean as you point out one can sense a deep continuity in which all the discourses that you mentioned have historically theorized the dalit question cutting across ideological lines if i may say so as difficult as it is to discern an affirmation of dalit intellectuality in these discourses uh, the perspectives of subaltern studies feminism and marxism do offer radical theoretical possibilities and in no way am i suggesting a closure of a critical dialogue with them so let us also note uh, that but nevertheless we must also self critically confront the limitations of the gaze that informs these perspectives in the way that these have attempted to theorize the dalit question 
Now, uh, let us start with the nationalist framework. Taking a cue from Partha Chatterjee's essay, The Nationalist Resolution of the Women's Question, we might similarly point out that a coterminous resolution of the Dalit question was also achieved within nationalist discourse and politics. And the historical germ of that resolution could be identified in the great uh, Ambedkar-Gandhi debate. So, very briefly, such a nationalist resolution of the Dalit question could be seen as working according to the view that Dalits were to remain an object or a beneficiary of the well-intentioned and even heroic effort of reform led by the national caste Hindu bourgeoisie and that they were never to be a subject of their own upliftment, lest that snatches away at the pedagogical responsibility assumed by the caste Hindu self in reforming the Dalits for their own good, so to say. Uh, now, Rupa Vishwanath, in her book, The Pariah Problem, which was published in 2014, outlines how this nationalist framework's focus upon piecemeal social and religious reform, in fact, foreclosed any real solution to the Dalit question. And it effectively kept the structure of caste intact, because of which, as she points out, issues of landlessness, violent atrocities, and political subordination are still largely overlooked and indeed suppressed in the way the nationalists approach the Dalit question. Now, coming to the failure to think this question in the Marxist framework, we can proceed historically and look at how the assumption of caste as an obstacle to class formation led to the very dangerous argument that to participate in or to organize an explicitly anti-caste politics would somehow break class unity or create unnecessary hurdles in our opposition to capitalism. The historic germ of this quite dangerous assumption can be traced back to the debate between Ambedkar and his contemporary communist politician S.A. Dange, who, as it is uh, well known, considered it more important that the issue of untouchability within the working class could be safely ignored so that it does not come in the way of uh, breaking class unity at the time of the textile workers' strike in Mumbai in the 1920s. Now, Ambedkar's objection to S.A. Dange was not that proletarian unity is unimportant, but that any attempt which shies away from confronting the problem of caste and untouchability within the working classes would in fact never bring about any real unity amongst them. So, it is counterproductive to think that class formation or proletarian unity would get hampered if we are to self-consciously confront the problem of caste and untouchability within the working classes. The reason I focused upon these two examples, the nationalist and the Marxist, is because these two ways of conceptualizing the Dalit question are still hugely prevalent in our time. And I feel an honest acknowledgement of the blind spots of this gaze would only benefit these discourses in becoming more radical and egalitarian in their approach to the Dalit question. Yes, and, and Dalit studies does offer the potential to bring this change as you've you know uh, nicely articulated. Um, since you've suggested that the discipline holds the potential to implicate the whole university and all sites of knowledge production, can we expand uh, more on this idea, uh, particularly the quote multidisciplinary approach that you've you know also mentioned? I think we can first differentiate between uh, Dalit studies as a discipline and Dalit studies as a research program. And uh, mind you, the disciplinarization of Dalit studies itself may give an excuse to some people who may now think that there is a designated department in the university where all prospective research upon the Dalit question can be successfully consigned or ghettoized to in a way. Uh, which I have uh, described in the article as an instance of intellectual segregation. 
So it is important to highlight how the premise of Dalit studies not only points towards establishing a concrete and separate discipline within the university, but also how it is capable of implicating the whole of the university with it, and indeed, as you mentioned, all sides of knowledge, because it constitutes a research program which can be adopted in any, in potentially any university, sorry, in potentially any discipline within the university. So one of the reasons why the inclusion of Dalit studies in the university becomes acceptable or tolerable to some is that as long as the premise of Dalit studies does not come to problematize the nature of investigations undertaken in their own disciplines, it really poses no substantial threat to the academic status quo. And it is only when the principle of Dalit intellectuality is extended beyond the operative domain of merely one subdiscipline towards all established disciplines of the social sciences that we can hope to radically transform the order of knowledge in the university from an anti-caste perspective. Now to come to the second part of your question, I think there is a need to differentiate between uh, what you called a multidisciplinary approach that may be operative in Dalit studies and similar efforts and what might still be called for uh, lack of a better word, a unidisciplinary approach with which the Dalit question may also be uh, studied. So I'm not totally foreclosing that the Dalit question can be studied unidisciplinarily as it were which is why I think all social science disciplines within the university should make use of the premise of Dalit studies to conduct new kinds of investigations. To give you my own example, I study in a department of uh, political science. Now, we as students and researchers of uh, political theory should be able to argue how caste impinges upon the classical themes that form the substance of our discipline. That is to say how caste relates to the classical themes of uh, freedom, equality, justice, authority, legitimacy, the state, methodological questions of truth and validity, etc. that form the pedagogical content of uh, my discipline, which is political theory. Thus, we must with all justification be able to study the Dalit question within this and possibly all social science disciplines. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I wanted to learn more about something quite worrying. And we've already started speaking about this early on in our conversation. And it's intellectual segregation. And you quote uh, Saitya Bratadas, who cautions against this form of discrimination that can pervade the university where, quote, Dalits must touch nothing apart from Dalit studies, end quote. And where Dalit studies can be reduced of its, quote, militant radical possibilities, end quote. What do you make of Saitabata Das's concerns and could you suggest some ways that they can be navigated? Yes, Saitabata Das's arguments were very useful for the article because they revealed again the cunning ways in which what he calls academic Brahminism operates in spite of a formal inclusion of Dalit studies within the university. And the view that Dalits must touch nothing apart from Dalit studies is uh, nothing but a Brahminical view. So I interpret Das's words to be saying the following, that uh, Dalit studies, militant and radical possibilities can only be realized when we extend its operative domain beyond merely one subdiscipline and force the whole university towards thinking the political task of annihilating caste. At the same time, even as we think about how to universalize the epistemic possibilities of Dalit studies, we must be cautious, as he points out, that we do not end up particularizing the concrete Dalit student or Dalit researcher who may then be seen as fit only to do Dalit studies, as again Das mentions. 
that would result in both an in an, an an institutional and an intellectual ghettoization or segregation of dalits and would again be an affront to their fundamental capacity to think so the only way in which we can perhaps hope to navigate this uh, double bind as uh, das calls it is by recognizing the tremendously ingenious way in which uh, academic brahminism operates and and one of the ways you've detailed how academic brahminism works is to make quote certain forms of inclusion as not incompatible with the structural operations of brahminism within the university end quote what are some of these forms and you know how can dalit studies have an impact on these structures let us take the example of the usual policies of inclusion that are followed by public and private universities in india public universities of course follow the method of assigning a certain numerical quota for appropriately defined disadvantaged social groups this way has been in spite of long struggles and terrible opposition which continues to this day the dominant form of ensuring inclusion of historically marginalized groups in public universities now with the private universities many of which as we know have mushroomed in india since the 1990s we see another mode of ensuring inclusion which does not work on the principle of social justice at all but uh, instead awards say scholarships or fellowships on an individualist basis to certain quote unquote without any sense of irony meritorious students from underprivileged backgrounds where let us also note even privilege is understood on a very narrow criteria of uh, familial or parental income now what i wanted to convey with that statement is that we are not thinking deeply enough about the gravity of the problem of uh, caste based inequalities if we assume that these forms of inclusion completely exhaust every measure of social justice within the space of the university why i have written that these forms of inclusion are rather compatible with the structural operations of brahminism is because of the historical fact that in spite of such policies the pedagogical content of the knowledge that is learned taught and legitimized within these spaces has not changed substantially and that we are making a mistake if we assume that only if we continue with such policies long enough the structures which sustain intellectual inequality between dalits and non dalits would eventually and automatically vanish from the space of the university if not the whole society i mean you know there is also a theoretical way of of of, of approaching this problem which uh, i had differentiated in the article uh from the terms negation versus inclu- uh, exclusion so if you want i can also speak a little bit more about uh, that yes of course please go ahead yeah i mean the difference between adopting the categories of uh, negation slash affirmation as opposed to inclusion slash exclusion to look at the studies is that the former in my opinion is able to grasp more closely the insidious ways in which brahminism operates both within the university institution as well as within the university discourse i think we may have now reached a stage where the dalit question is not so much ignored and overlooked but is rather tremendously invested in for the purposes of uh, neutralizing and domesticating it let me just give you an example one need only read rohit vemula's last letter in order to understand the gravity of the situation whereby arithmetical arrangements of inclusion have hardly been able to substantially dent the structural edifice of brahminism within the university rohit said in his letter that quote never was a man treated as a mind end of quote now now what does this momentous sort of a statement mean i i think 
it it points to the fact that in spite of formal inclusion of dalit students within the university owing to affirmative action policies we may still have a situation whereby the dalits life of the mind faces a systematic negation in in the everyday functioning of brahminism within within the space of the university including of course within the space of the classroom and such a situation is only worsened when we hardly find any anti caste thinkers being a part of university syllabi or curricula giving dalit students the realization that there is a fundamental continuity between the way they find their desire as rohit expressed it to live like a mind practically demolished within the university institution and uh, such a thing is only exacerbated by the general pedagogical ignorance with regards to the reading and teaching of thinkers like ambedkar and phule within the university discourse let me end this answer by citing a quotation from uh, shomyabrata choudhury's recent book titled ambedkar and other immortals uh, he writes in that book quote very few today dare deny ambedkar's originality or his erudition however only a small section of the professors of sociology teach castes in india their mechanism genesis and development and hardly any professional historian is caught discussing who were the shudras as a historiographical intervention end of quote now i think uh, choudhury's quotation captures really well how a sort of a formal inclusion or acknowledgement or even a symbolic representation of the dalit might sometimes go hand in hand with uh, the negation of what i have called the thought of the dalit mm-hmm. i'm glad you've outlined some of the serious limitations across different curriculums uh, how might dalit studies impact other disciplines during its institutionalization process classically traditionally established disciplines like history sociology political science have in a way taken to studying the dalit question in a rather rigorous manner in say recent time however there are still certain disciplines which are actively hostile towards uh, the dalit question and the caste question and in fact there is a very strong consensus amongst such disciplines that you know caste or the whole question of caste inequality uh, has nothing to do with the way the discipline operates so recently i was introduced to learning about the fact that many scholars are interested in studying caste within the field of international relations we might suppose that i mean uh, at a very layman level perhaps that caste has nothing to do with 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 the discipline of international relations however the some of those scholars have pointed out how the civilizational discourse of the indian nation state often valorizes pre colonial india and so on and how under the garb of that valorization you also see an active suppression of uh, narratives of caste inequality and how all of such civilizational rhetoric pervades heavily the formation of uh, indian foreign policy uh the formation of say diplomatic relations between nation states and so on and so forth and how such such notions of say the indic you know a location of caste actually acquits many of these uh say diplomats in ignoring the problem of caste in say distant lands so i that was very enlightening for me to learn of how disciplines like international relations which previously believed that caste has nothing to do with the way uh, with whatever pedagogical content that exists within these uh, spaces are actually beginning to you know force these uh, questions open and uh, making 
these kinds of disciplines open towards trying to theorize the the the, the caste question that's quite compelling and i think it relates to your point about affecting all sides of knowledge production so we've covered a lot of ground today and i was curious to learn about the life this article has had outside the pages of epw and maybe how people have responded to it so one of the questions that i received which i find is uh, important and i i should mention it here was this following fact that why should we retain the name dalit studies for these kinds of studies you know why should why should we not have a more neutral so to say sounding name like caste caste studies for 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 all these kinds of disciplines and what do we gain by you know using the word dalit in 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 dalit studies now that really gave me a lot to think about at that point i could respond uh, to that question only unsatisfactorily perhaps but i could still say that uh, you know as 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 has also been pointed out by sharmila rege in one of her articles that a tradition of something what can be called caste studies already exists within say the discipline of social anthropology in india where uh, you have had a lot of works about uh, you know the uh, concrete functioning of caste relations mostly in rural but also in some uh, urban settings so the reason sharmila rege pointed out we need something like dalit studies in contradistinction to caste studies is because in most of the inquiries under the ambit of caste studies dalits were usually portrayed as being unthinking emulators of caste relations in a way or you know i think that is an exaggeration but still uh, sharmila rege pointed out that whatever dalits were doing in those studies of uh, in those inquiries of caste studies they were not thinking and as and as has also been pointed out in the article uh, dilip menon mentioned that uh, there is an assumption that in 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 the social sciences that it is only the elites who situate themselves within discourses while the whole subaltern classes of course including dalits usually only occupy spaces of uh, insurgency or social movement so to say now i think again to 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 respond to the question of why we should retain the name dalit in dalit studies is for the simple reason that we must affirm that dalit that it is the thought of the dalit that was negated even in the discipline of or 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 in the ambit of caste studies that existed before it i mean that is just by way of uh, mentioning some of the questions that uh, were provoked by this article in the conference i wanted to know a little more about the future and if we could learn about some of the unanswered questions that you continue to investigate yes i mean i think there are several such questions but let me just focus upon one which i feel to be the most important and uh, that is something that i could only hint at in the conclusion of the article but could not elaborate and uh, that is the question of the relation between uh, dalit studies and dalit politics as of course we have also talked about in the course of our conversation and uh, towards investigating this question in the future i plan to draw upon the extremely rich debate on the question of the relation between theory and practice that exists within the tradition of uh, marxist political philosophy i mean i find this statement of uh, the great marxist philosopher louis althusser to be very suggestive where he had once said that philosophy is class struggle in the realm of theory it's very tempting for me to think of 
similar avenues of uh, for lack of a better term caste struggle within the realm of theory and how 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 dalit studies could be imagined to be one such avenue so yeah i mean i would certainly like in the future to productively engage ambedkarite and marxist scholarship to think more deeply about the broader theoretical question of the relation between uh, theory and practice knowledge and action or uh, epistemics and uh, politics Ankit thank you so much for sharing compelling details about the need and current impossibility for dalit studies yeah i mean it was my absolute pleasure lovely talking to you abhishek i found ankit's observations about the erasure of anti caste scholars within classrooms quite impactful particularly about how it could impact dalit and bahujan students sense of self and mind and diminish the overall quality of education that's being provided I do recommend reading the entire article written by Ankit in EPW and I've shared a link to it in the description of this podcast. Next week we'll speak to Shibani Ghosh and Dr. Navroz Dubash about the effectiveness of Indian institutions and policies to address the global environmental crisis. We'll be going into granular details of efforts such as the 2008 National Action Plan on Climate Change and the co-benefits model. To make sure you don't miss out on that conversation Do subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We also look forward to reading your feedback and comments through our social media accounts. Take care and I'll see you next week.